0: When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here, we oh, no. so have to listen to the Indoor Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, September 7th. 2022 peak I hope everybody's doing well I hope everybody is having a great day most importantly one hope you survived the first day back after the long weekend and hope you enjoyed the first episode of the new era of the Aaron sports podcast cannot thank you all enough for your support as as I told you throughout the last couple days we are now up to five days a week with full episodes streaming on YouTube every single morning. So thank you for your support. New era of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Midweek shows we'll try to keep a little bit quicker. Uh, We usually did about 45 minutes to an hour previously. We're going to try to keep it a little tighter starting today, uh, but still a fun show. And this is what I want to do on today's show, on the Wednesday episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. One week of college football is in the books. And what I want to go ahead and do is kind of re-rank and re-tier college football after one week right there's no sport where we love to overreact to everything that we saw and everything that we maybe see didn't see think we saw whatever than college football so what better thing to do they completely overreact and re-rank everybody after one week i'll give you the playoff contenders the title contenders all that good stuff who's going to be on the outside looking in great fun wednesday segment after week one from there we're going to switch gears. Talk a little bit about the Clemson Tigers. That's right. Little old Clemson and Dabo Sweeney. Obviously played Monday night. And I do want to talk about that quarterback situation because I do think Dabo's got a tough decision ahead. Finally, there was a little dust up. How about this at the Brian Kelly press conference on Tuesday night as Brian Kelly reporters chirping at Brian Kelly. Maybe it means nothing. Or maybe it means that people, I think people are already turning on Brian Kelly. So fun show. As I said, these midweek shows, we'll try to keep them a little bit quicker. know you got other people that you listen to and all that good stuff. Uh, We'll try to keep this show a little bit quicker. But it's going to be a fun episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Cannot wait to get going. Before we do, though, I got to remind you what I've told you before. We have ourselves a new presenting sponsor For all things Aaron Torres Podcast and Aaron Torres Media, I am talking about Bet Fred Sportsbook, which has come on as the official presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres Pod. Bet Fred is one of Europe's biggest sportsbooks started in 1967 by Fred Doan. They are now in the U.S. and they have hit the market in a huge way. They are the official betting partner of the Denver Broncos, Colorado Rockies, and now the Cincinnati Bengals and are currently licensed in Arizona, Colorado, Iowa, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Louisiana, Washington, and soon Ohio. More importantly, they are the perfect partner for us here at Aaron Torres Media. They're a book that does more for its bettors than anywhere else, from in-person events with betting competitions, weekly promotional offers that fit your betting size and patterns, and the personal touch you won't get anywhere else, Betfred gives you more. Betfred, I said personal touch, what did I mean? How about this? They've had their betters throughout first pitch of the Rockies game, tailgated before Broncos games. This past week, Arizona State home game. Bet Fred rented out a suite just for its betters. Again, Bet Fred goes above and beyond. And when you bet with Bet Fred, no one gives out more free bonuses than Bet Fred Sportsbook. The more you bet, the bigger the bonus. As a quick thank you to listeners of the tour Sports Podcast, they even got a special deal for you. Bet $50, get $50 on any college football game this weekend. All new signups in Colorado, Arizona, and Iowa. Bet Fred, Bet Fred Sportsbook. They do more, they care more, and they are a great presenting sponsor for the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Could not be more excited to be working with Bet Fred Sportsbook this year. With that said, though, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is pretty straightforward. The topic of the day is college football, and we are officially through week one of the college football season, and there is uh, a lot to react to. We did most of our reaction on Tuesday's episode, reacting to all of the week one games, and what I wanted to do today is this. I know that after week one, it feels like, oh, you don't want to rush to judgment, you don't want to overreact. I completely disagree. Why college football is college football is because all we do is completely overreact completely, uh, you know, dive into every narrative, every thought, every belief, every whatever. And so what I want to do today is I don't really want to re-rank teams. Re-ranking is a little bit weird. Um, I want to kind of tier them. I think after week one, we have an idea of who can win a championship, who can make a playoff, who's a pretender, who we really don't know about, but we kind of sort of do. And then, of course, the teams that were good stories in week one, but it's hard to expect them to do all that much damage. So let's get into the official re-ranking and re-tiering of college football after week one. Again, this isn't a ranking. I'm not just going to go number one is this team. Number two is that team. Let's re-tier college football after week one. First of all, let's get to the national title contenders, the teams that I believe are good enough to legitimately win a national championship, to get those 12 regular season wins, or regular, 11 regular season wins, win their conference uh, championship game, get to the playoff, and as I always say, win two games once you get there. That's the difference between a national championship contender and a team that's good enough to make the playoff. Cincinnati last year, good enough to make the playoff, was not good enough to win a national championship. So who are my national – the two teams that I believe are good enough to win a national championship, huge shocker, but drumroll please, the first one, it's the Georgia Bulldogs. How about my dogs? Can I take credit for Georgia if I didn't pick them this year to make the playoff? Listen, I'll tell you this. When it comes to Georgia, what I can legitimately say is that I don't think I was more impressed by anybody in week one than Georgia because I knew they were going to be good, right? I picked Georgia to win, but I thought it was going to be close for all the reasons we talked about on Monday. They lose a historic amount of uh, of NFL talent. They're coming off of a national championship. How much do we really know about their team? Well, we learned everything we needed to know when they destroyed Oregon 49-3. to And I don't need to get into all the stats. We did that on Monday's show. But when you talk about a team that takes the field, that has almost 600 yards of total offense, that scores on their first seven possessions, that calls off the dogs and pulls the starters midway through the third quarter against the top 15 team, that's when you know they are a special team. What stands out to me specifically when thinking back to that Georgia game is a couple things. One, you know, I do think it's the offense, right? And and listen, we're going to do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong on Friday, but man, I was the guy even two weeks ago. I said, I just don't know if Stetson Bennett can do it. I just don't know if he's that good. I just don't know. Did all the stars align for them in the playoff? They got caught Alabama at the right time, all that good stuff. Uh, Yeah, apparently I was wrong on Stetson Bennett, 25 of 31, 368 yards, two touchdowns, one rushing touchdown for Stetson Bennett the other day. So the offense is rolling, and I think just as surprisingly, the defense doesn't appear as though it's missed a beat, right? Five first-rounders drafted last year off of what was supposed to be a historic defense. I mean, it was a historic defense, but when you saw them play on Saturday, you said, they're the same as last year. They're incredible on defense. It was actually really funny. I'm sure most of you were watching the game, but uh, it was interesting. During the game, the broadcasters mentioned that they had actually interviewed a player named Chris Smith, uh, one of the few returning defensive starters from last year's team. And they had asked him in the lead up to the game, they said, well, how do you? How are you guys going to deal with losing all of the talent off last year's team? And he said, oh, I think we're going to be just as good this year. And they said, how? And he said, you just watch. And so it speaks to the talent accumulation that Kirby Smart has, the development, how well coached they are, because they really did look awesome. Listen, uh, Oregon held to three points. If you watch that game, you know the three points came on a field goal where, to be honest, if we're being perfectly blunt, realistically, there was a bad pass interference call that set up the only field goal which set up the only points for Oregon. And what's scary about Georgia when I think about them for the rest of the season Oregon again was in theory supposed to be the best team that they played all year. I unquestionably, if you go by the recruiting rankings are the most talented roster that Georgia's going to see all year. Now, I think because of, uh, you know, one, they're going to play Kentucky on the road. They're going to play Mississippi state on the road. Auburn's a familiar opponent, Tennessee's a familiar opponent. So it's not to say that Georgia won't be challenged, but like I said, I do think that, that, that Oregon was supposed to be the team that gave Georgia problems. They gave them none. And so to me, Georgia obviously fits that category of a team that looks good enough to win a national championship. Let's keep it going with the only other team that I believe is good enough to win a national championship. It's the Alabama Crimson Tide. Huge shocker, I know. Listen, I've talked so much about Alabama in the preseason. I'm not going to go too much into it here. We don't need to overanalyze a game against Utah State where they just absolutely destroyed the Aggies. Uh, Final score in that game, Alabama beats Utah State, a good Utah State team, we should mention. By a lot of points, they took care of business, 55 to nothing in Tuscaloosa. And so when I look at the Alabama situation, again, I'm not going to overdo it. But 55 nothing, 559 yards of total offense. They hold Utah State, which was an 11-win team last year, to 136 yards of total offense on their end. Blake Anderson, their head coach says, listen, I've been doing this a long time. That's the best team I've ever seen. Alabama is in my opinion, a team that is good enough like Georgia to win a national title. Let's keep it going. Let's go to the next tier teams that I believe are good enough to make the playoff, but not win a national championship. And I think the first team in this tier is going to surprise some people. And some people are going to be mad. I do think it's the Ohio state Buckeyes and what Ohio state fans will say, we played a top five team at home. It wasn't pretty. We got 13, 14 weeks to get better before the playoff. What are you talking about, Torres? And to some degree, like, like I, I I get that. I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. What I would say is a couple of things, though. One, I know Ohio State was missing their leading receiver, their best receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba. I get that CJ Stroud doesn't have the rapport with the other guys that he does with, with JSN, as the kids call him, Jackson Smith and Jigba. At the same time, when we're talking about the elite of the elite, the upper crust, the best of the best, not having a star wide receiver is an excuse. It wasn't an excuse for Bryce Young last year in the national championship game against Georgia when he was down not only Jamison Williams, but John Mechie as well, his top two receivers, and still almost beat Georgia. And so when I saw Ohio State, this is what I saw. I saw a really, really, really good team. I didn't see an invincible team, though. Georgia looked invincible. Alabama looked invincible. Those two look in a different class. Ohio State looked really good, but a team that has a lot of work to do. Now to Ohio State's credit, most importantly, I think the big thing that really stood out to me with the Ohio State win, I really did like the fact they ran the ball late. Like Ryan Day had a moment in time where he was just like, yeah, I can show off all my fancy plays and show how much of a genius I am, or I can just pound the rock right at Notre Dame, and they can't do anything about it. And so what I liked about that Ohio state game was they just ran the ball right at Notre Dame, but the, 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 the passing game did not look good. And I'm sorry, listen, it's no disrespect to Jim Knowles. It's no disrespect to all of the guys on that defense who worked so hard all off season. I'm just not sold that I need to be super impressed by Notre Dame coming off of a year in which Notre Dame has a first year head coach, a first year quarterback, who's never started a game, lost a thousand yard rusher, lost their best wide receiver. I don't think that's anything close to the best offense Ohio State's going to see all year. And so maybe by week eight, week nine, week 10, I'll feel differently about Ohio State. Maybe by week eight, week nine, week 10, when they beat or play Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, I'll feel different. Right now, listen, I think this is a team that can go 11-1, and maybe 12-0, and make a playoff. I don't believe they can win the two games in the playoff necessary to win a national championship. Let's keep it going. I'm gonna throw a surprise little curveball at you in terms of another team that I saw on Saturday that I think is good enough to make a playoff. I'm just not sure they can win a championship. That's the Michigan Wolverines, okay? And so I, I know we're doing overreactions a little bit here on Monday, but what I saw from Michigan was essentially the same team that I saw last year. I know it was only Colorado State, but they were the same team. 440 yards of total offense, 240 yards rushing, six yards per carry pressure on the edge this is who Michigan is and has become under Jim Harbaugh they run the ball they play great defense they get after you and here's where I think Michigan can go to another level than even last year they're going to have a dynamic quarterback this year at J.J. McCarthy now I know nothing official has happened and he's going to start against Hawaii and then we'll figure it out from there J.J. McCarthy's your starter J.J. McCarthy is going to be the guy Cade McNamara did, looked all out of sorts on Saturday. He and, and J.J. McCarthy just brings a different dimension with the run game, with the the speed, with the athleticism that Cade McNamara simply doesn't have. So you take the run game from last year, you take the pass rush, and I know it's not quite as good without Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. You take that pass rush, you take the run game, and you add a quarterback that can make plays with his feet and his arm, that is a scary proposition, and it is an especially scary proposition When you consider, as we discussed in the preseason, Michigan's schedule. Look at Michigan's schedule. They're going to win a lot of games. Open with Colorado State, Hawaii this weekend, UConn the following week. Love my Huskies, but they ain't going to the big house and pulling off the upset. And then after that, they get Maryland. Michigan's not even going to be challenged until October 1st at Iowa. And then you look at the rest of the schedule. No Wisconsin. They get Nebraska at home. They get Michigan State at home. They get Penn State at home. And then, of course, they close with Ohio State on the road. So you look at Michigan, very manageable out-of-conference schedule. The in-conference schedule, virtually all their big games are at home. Yes, they're going to have to beat Ohio State at some point. But I would mention, there's a scenario where if they're undefeated, they might not even have to beat Ohio State to make the college football playoff. So I'm not saying that Michigan definitively gets there. But can I see Michigan making the playoff? I absolutely can. They're another team that I believe can make the playoff. Let's keep it going. This one I'm going to pass over, okay? So Clemson is another team that, based off of week one, I think can make the playoff. We're going to talk about them, their quarterback situation coming up, so we'll skip them. But Clemson, along with Michigan, Ohio State, are teams that I believe can make the playoff. Let's keep it going. Next one up, Oklahoma, the Sooners. I won't say that I saw everything that I wanted to see from Brent Venable's team in week one, but I do think I saw enough. They were up 21-0 after the first quarter, uh, let their foot off the gas. I thought the offense looked really sharp with Dylan Gabriel under center. And what I really liked, and this was something that going back to the bowl game, even when Caleb Williams was still there, um, they ran the ball. And they ran the ball hard and effective uh, and really took, it it seemed as though took priority in establishing the ground game and establishing physicality. Now, the defense wasn't great. They only played UTEP. And I think we're going to learn a lot more about this team in the coming weeks, they play Nebraska this not this coming weekend in week two, but the following weekend. And I think we're going to learn a little bit about them in the Nebraska game, and then certainly once Big Twelve play starts. But Oklahoma gave me about eighty to eighty-five percent of everything that I wanted to see from them in week one. Let's keep it going with teams that I believe can make the playoff, but not necessarily win there. I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball at you. Okay, here's a team that I think can make the playoff, even though I'm not sure that they 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 can win once they get there. And I wouldn't have said this going into week one. I do think USC can make the college football playoff. And I know they only played Rice Torres. You're overreacting. You're doing your Torres thing. I get it. But we talked about USC all offseason. We talked about the talent infusion. And what I would say is we literally saw every single thing. Like like you think about all the pressure on USC. Uh, 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 An off season's worth of hype. All the transfer portal. Caleb Williams, NIL, Jordan Addison can they flip this thing overnight and then they go out in 110 degree weather. I should mention at the LA Coliseum, it was hot in LA on Saturday. They put up 66 points and it was the 66 points. Exactly how you want to see it. 538 yards of total offense. Caleb Williams with 300 plus yards passing. Um, Jordan Addison is the catches the first touchdown of the season. Three different running backs established themselves. Travis Dye, the transfer from Oregon. Austin Jones, the transfer from Stanford. And of course, Raleek Brown, the five-star running back who committed and signed this past offseason. And on top of that, here's the other thing about USC. Listen, their defense isn't good enough to win a national championship. They scored three defensive touchdowns though against Rice in week one. And that's the, the incredible part to me. I watched a lot of bad USC football during the Clay Helton era. This team in one game, three defensive touchdowns. I I didn't look up the stats, but I would venture to guess USC probably hasn't had three defensive touchdowns in the last two seasons, but it just speaks to the fact that we saw everything that we wanted out of USC. Caleb Williams was awesome. The skill position was awesome. The defense was good enough. And the defense being good enough is what could get them to 11 and one could get them to a PAC 12 championship game and could get them to a playoff. Now, if they get to the playoff, let's make no mistake. They're going to get destroyed by Georgia, destroyed by Alabama. I think they would lose to Michigan. I think they would lose to Ohio State. But could they make the playoff? I think they could. USC in that category of team that's good enough to make the playoff. Last team that I did see on Saturday that I believe is good enough to make the playoff, it might be a little bit of a surprise to you. I do think it's the Utah Utes. And listen, I know Utah, we all saw it, go on the road, lose to Florida in the swamp. But when I go back to that game, a couple things stand out. One, they were in position to win that, right? Multiple ways they could have won that game. Cam rising, final play, doesn't throw an interception. Maybe, they, maybe he throws a touchdown pass, they win, or they kick a field goal. And I think they had the advantage in overtime. But beyond that, if you really watch that game closely, and obviously we all were, right? I'm not saying I was any more than anybody else. But Billy Napier was basically the way he coached late in that game was essentially acknowledging, I cannot stop the run against Utah. And so you go back to late in the game, he's running the clock down when he hasn't even scored to take the lead. That was him acknowledging, I cannot stop this Utah offense. And it speaks to me and it says to me that Utah is a really good team that I believe is going to win the rest of the games on their schedule, or at least they will be favored to. Now they play USC, but it's at home. They play Oregon, but I was underwhelmed by Oregon. But if they just do what they did at the Swamp, if they just do what they did against Florida, run the ball, play defense, be good enough, I think they're going to be okay. The other thing to consider with Utah, there's no way to game plan for Anthony Richardson, AR-15, I know he doesn't like to be called that, but he's AR-15 as far as I'm concerned. There's no way to game plan for him when he has one career start and 66 career passes thrown. So you look at the whole deal with Utah. Going on the road, true road environment, 100,000 fans. Billy Napier basically acknowledging, I cannot stop this offense. I think Utah, I still think they can go 11-1, and one, still make the college football playoff. Let's get to the next tier, and I'll be brief with these. Uh, I'm calling them my teams that we really didn't learn anything about them in week one, but we kind of already know, and we'll be quick. One is Texas. Listen, Texas, to their credit, dominated Louisiana Monroe. Louisiana Monroe is terrible, by the way. Uh, but they dominate Louisiana Monroe. Quinn Ewers, of course, got his car towed after the game. But we kind of know what's going to happen when Texas plays Alabama, right? It's not going to be pretty. And then from there, they would basically have to win out to make the playoff. Texas, cool story. I hope they're better than I think that they actually are. But they're going to get steamrolled by Alabama. We'll start previewing that Alabama-Texas game on Thursday's show. Next team. In the, we don't really know, but we kind of know, we didn't really learn in week one, the Miami Hurricanes. Miami put up 70 points on Bethune-Cookman. Good for them. Um, I think they have maybe the most underrated quarterback in college football, Tyler Van Dyke. He's the best quarterback that Mario Cristobal has had outside of Justin Herbert. But that's kind of why we know that Miami ain't going to make the playoff, right? Mario Cristobal had Justin Herbert and still lost two games. And so when I look at Miami, listen, they're really good. I think there are two or three recruiting classes away from beating winning, you know, going 11 and one 12 and zero, being, even being in the conversation. But on top of that, Mario Cristobal kind of has a history of like, you know, Mario Cristobal, like he's going to lose a big game in November that he shouldn't Miami. Cool story. Great win. Week one, interesting story. We know they're not really a contender. Same with Texas A&M. Listen, I've said for all off season, I think Texas A&M is a year away. Uh, Haynes King is their starting quarterback, really talented kid. But you could tell, even in that game against, um, I'm blanking on who they played, but in week one, they played Sam Houston State, excuse me. And you could just tell he's a little bit rusty. They actually play Miami a week from now. So we're going to get a good feel for one of those two teams. One of those two teams is going to come with come out with a loss. But Miami, Texas A&M, and Texas all fit in the category of, we really don't know after week one, but we kind of do. Let's keep it going. Fun stories out of week one, but it ain't happening. Florida and Florida State, two really good teams. Uh, Two teams that I think are going to be better than we thought in the preseason. Two teams that picked up big wins in week one. Uh, You know, Florida at home against Utah. Florida State, uh, basically in a road environment against LSU. Great wins, but they're not making the college football playoff. We know that. And then really quickly, I'll add a few more teams that, that, you know, I think people might think are still kind of in the mix. I don't see it with Notre Dame. I said it straight up on, on, uh, you know, whatever show it was on Tuesday, Notre Dame. I think Marcus Freeman's going to be the guy. What I saw from Notre Dame, they don't have a do, a difference maker, an X factor on either side of the ball. That's why Marcus Freeman was kept on as head coach to go out and get those guys to get those two or three game breakers at wide receiver that Alabama always has that Ohio State always has that Clemson used to have. I don't know if they still do um to go get that the difference making running back and most importantly to get those dudes on defense to get the edge rushers to get the corners whatever but what I saw from Notre Dame just a really good eight and four nine and three type team they're going to beat all the teams they're supposed to they're going to lose to the teams that they're supposed to they're not going to beat Clemson they're probably not going to beat USC I think Notre Dame's fine they're not a playoff team same with Oregon I don't think I need to explain Oregon and I think the only other one is Baylor I know people are excited about Baylor, and maybe I'm proven wrong. I just don't see the scenario where they go 11-1 and one in the Big 12. Oklahoma is going to be good. Texas is improved. Kansas State is improved. Oklahoma State is good, and they have to play at, you know, a tough Oklahoma State team as well. They get Oklahoma on the road. So Baylor is out of the conversation. Really quickly, just to recap, my Tier 1, Georgia and Alabama, the two teams that I believe can only get to the playoff but win the title, Tier two, teams that I believe are good enough to make the playoff but not win it. Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson, Oklahoma, USC, and Utah. Everybody else falls into another category, whether it is Texas, Miami, Texas A&M, Florida, Florida State, uh, or Notre Dame, Oregon, and Baylor. All right, good opening segment of the AeroTour Sports Podcast. Not to brag, one of the best I've ever done. I think whatever, no big deal. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna take a quick break We are going to come back. We'll talk a little bit about that Clemson quarterback situation. Crazy story. I think Dabo's already his back is against the wall. And then did you see what the reporter said to Brian Kelly on Tuesday afternoon? It may mean nothing, but to me, I think what it actually means is people are already turning on Brian Kelly going to take a quick break. I will be right back. We're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, NFL season is just around the corner. And wouldn't it be nice to join a pool with your buddies and have those all-important bragging rights while making a little bit of cash? Can't think of anything better, in my opinion, but that's just me. Listen, here's the deal. You may remember I used and promoted BracketFanatics.com for March Madness. We did the Aaron Torres podcast Bracket Fanatics Challenge. I gave out cash, and I am back because Bracket Fanatics is now supporting the NFL regular season and playoffs and tournament format. We have ourselves an Aaron Torres pod bracket challenge NFL pick them. All you have to do, this is, it's pretty straightforward. It's not complicated. Very simple. Go to BracketFanatics.com, Click the join the bracket tab and you join the bracket Torres. That is the code of the bracket that you're going to want to enter code Torres. Okay. Once there, It's completely free to enter. All you have to do, pick winners of every single game on the NFL slate. So week one obviously starts with Rams versus Bills. You pick that one. Nothing against the spread. Just pick winners and losers for all 16 teams. And when you win, not if you win, when you win, we're giving out a lot of cash. Here's the deal. We have $100 cash prize winners for every single week. So week one, you pick all the games. Guess what? We're giving out a $100 cash prize to the winner of that week. And then the season-long winner gets a $1,000 cash prize, all courtesy of our friends at Bracket Fanatics. Again, free to enter, BracketFanatics.com. Join Bracket. Torres is what you want. Free to enter, $100 cash winners every week, and a $1,000 cash prize. And this is the cool part. I'll be updating every single week. I'll let you know who is winning each and every week on the Bracket Fanatics Challenge, the NFL Pick'Em Challenge. Now, keep in mind also, this is important. If you are interested in starting or joining a bracket yourself, you can do that as well. With Bracket Fanatics, you can determine the pool fees and payouts. You can have Bracket Fanatics collect and distribute pool entry fees and payout funds, or you or players in your bracket can collect funds yourself. Most importantly, by the way, if you want to make it free, like the Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pick'Em Challenge, you could do that as well. But wait, there's another added bonus. Besides tracking wins and payouts for every player bracket fanatics allows you to send or receive bets on any game with any player in your bracket using bracket bucks. While fantasy football is fun, it does require a lot of time. We all know that. And only a few players collect a payout with bracket fanatics. You can invite your friends and you who want the social networking experience and send a little smack talk along the way while having an opportunity to win each week, this season, NFL Pick'em Challenge, Torres Pod. Link is going to be in the show description, but go to BracketFanatics.com, join Bracket, code Torres, free to enter $100 cash prize, $1,000 cash prize each and every week. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back, good to be back. I do want to switch gears and do want to talk about something that I promised that we would talk about here on Wednesday's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. If you listen to yesterday's show on Tuesday, uh, I recorded obviously late Monday night after the Clemson game. And I figured rather than forcing all the Clemson talk into one conversation into one show, let's save it for Wednesday's show. We'll be 24 hours removed from the Clemson game And we can kind of separate it from everything else that happened over the course of the weekend, specifically the LSU game, the Florida game, the Ohio state game, Georgia, whatever. And so I do want to talk about Clemson because on the one hand, they did win 41 to 10 dominant fashion over Georgia tech. But if you watch the game, you also saw something else. You saw something that we have talked about quite a bit on this show and really something kind of came to fruition that we've discussed over the last probably three to four weeks. If you've listened to this show in the lead up to the season, you know that I have said something pretty consistently about Clemson. I've said that I believe that Clemson's quarterback position is the single most important position in all of college football. Now, there may be more talented play, you know, the, the I don't want to say the Clemson quarterback is the most important player in college football. That might be Bryce Young or Caleb Williams, maybe Quinn Ewers, maybe Anthony Richardson, I don't know. Maybe Will Levis at Kentucky. But the single most important position is the quarterback position at Clemson. It is because Clemson is one of the few teams that in most spots really is good enough to win a national championship. Now, their O-line isn't great. Their wide receiver court isn't elite. But the defense is next level. The defense is maybe if it's not quite Georgia, it's pretty darn close. But Dabo Sweeney has said that he, he believes he has upwards of eight defensive linemen that will one day be drafted. And realistically, probably three to four guys on this year's defense that are going to be drafted in the first round this year. So the defense is elite, but what held Clemson back last year when they went 10-3 and was the quarterback position, and specifically the quarterback, DJ Uyla And so as I've said all offseason, the quarterback position is the single most important position in college football when it comes to Clemson. Whether it's DJ, whether it's his backup, If you get good quarterback play, you can win a national championship. If you get elite quarterback play, you might be the favorite. But if you get bad quarterback play like you did last year, you're not going to make the playoff. You're not going to make the ACC championship game. You're not even going to win the conference title like a season ago. And so I bring it up because I think that conversation, frankly, came to fruition on Monday night in Atlanta. As I said, Clemson gets the win. But unfortunately, I think we saw a lot from DJ on Monday night that looked awfully similar to what we saw from him last year. And while I don't want to overreact to one game, and while I don't want to put it all on one kid, I do think it's pretty clear to anybody that watched, there might be a better quarterback on the bench. Dabo Sweeney might have a really tough decision to make when it comes to the quarterback position. And so let's get into it, because I do think if you didn't watch the game, I think it'd be easy to kind of look at the box score and say, ah, you know, Clemson won by 31 points. What are you complaining about, Torres? What are you talking about? And while I I certainly think there's something to it, and it's a credit to Clemson, I think one thing we always do on this show, we go beyond the box score, right? I'm not a box score chaser guy. I watch the games. I react to the games. I analyze the games. I think that's one of the reasons why you guys and girls like this show so much. I'm not pulling stuff out of my you-know-what. And so if you watch the Clemson game on Monday night, it was certainly a great effort, especially by the defense. But the 41 points is a bit deceptive, especially when it comes to the starting quarterback, DJ Uliganilin. Why is that? Well, First of all, first touchdown of the game for Clemson comes off of a block punt, which puts Clemson's offense inside the 10 yard line, punching in for a touchdown. And even then, they needed to convert a fourth down. It's worth noting. Beyond that, second half, Georgia Tech, one of the worst teams in Power Five football last year, cut the lead to 14 to 10. And while DJ did make some nice plays in the second half, they also had another touchdown set up by a special teams play. 15 yards for a touchdown. Didn't exactly drive the length of the field, and then late in the game, Clemson scored a touchdown when DJ was off and his backup was in the game. And so it's easy to look at the, sto- the the stat sheet. It's easy to sit there and say Clemson scored 41 points. How can you say there's a quarterback controversy? And in DJ's defense, he was fine. He was actually okay. Had a couple really nice plays. Had a nice touchdown pass in the corner of the end zone. In his defense, his receivers dropped some some passes that probably should have been caught. The O line, I don't think, is elite. But what I also saw from DJ is unfortunately a guy that I'll be honest. He looked a lot like the guy from last year. And I know, I I know I just said a second ago, I don't read box scores. I don't use box scores to analyze games. I do think it's kind of interesting to look at last year versus this year. Last year, when we realized DJ's just, he's not good enough. He's just not good enough. Not at the level that Clemson needs him to be. Here were his stats last year. Completed 56% of his passes nine touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and his completions went for about six yards per completion. Let's compare that to Monday night. On Monday night, DJ went 19 for 32 passing. That's 59%. One touchdown, zero interceptions, 6.5 yards per completion. So last year, 55%, six yards per completion, nine touchdowns, 10 interceptions. This year, 59%, one touchdown, zero interceptions, 6.5 yards per it's the exact same stat line from last year as to this year and beyond that what i would also say if you watch the game you could tell that clemson was play calling in a way that they were afraid to let him loose first off he had 13 carries on monday night how many elite quarterbacks do you see getting 13 carries in a season opener uh i looked it up bryce young had five stetson bennett had two dj had 13 now some of them were design runs some of them were broken plays where he had to run, but sometimes it was a broken play because he just didn't make a quick enough decision. And so if you watch the game, you could just see it was so obvious the Clemson coaching staff was afraid to let him do anything and afraid to let him lose the game for him, for them. Clemson gets the win, they're 1 and 0, good for them. But what stood out to me is the conversation that we've been having about Clemson, frankly since last probably November or December. It's that Last year, DJ was not very good. The defense was great, but they really had no choice but to stick with him when times got tough. The difference is this year, they don't have to stick with him. And you know why? Because they got a pretty good backup named Cade Clubnick. As a matter of fact, he's not just a good backup. He might be the best backup in college football. Last year, number one ranked quarterback in high school football, according to 24-7 Sports from Texas, commits to to Clemson over Texas and Texas A&M. But more importantly, if you if you watch till the end of the game, I don't even think it's a debate who the better quarterback is. And this kid was in his first game, first year, first game as quarterback. Comes in the game, four of six passing, 50 yards, one touchdown. So it took him six passes to throw a touchdown, 32 for DJ. He averaged eight and a half yards per completion, DJ six and a half yards. And if you watch the game. What was so impressive was there was just so much poise, so much confidence, walked in the huddle, felt like he knew exactly what he was doing, takes him down the field in no time and scores a touchdown. And so what I'm trying to say is I want to bring it back full circle. I do think Tavo Sweetie has a really tough decision to make because what I can tell you is, as I look at this whole situation, I can't sit here and definitively tell you that Cade Klubnick is a quarterback that's good enough as a freshman to win you a national championship. But I saw enough. In six passes, one series, to know that he has a better upside than DJ. Not that DJ is a bad kid, not he's a bad person, not whatever. But I do think Dabo Swinney has a tough decision to make, and I think eventually he's got to make the move to Cade Clubnick if Clemson wants to compete at the highest level. First off, there's a couple of reasons why. One, the plan is – here's my thought on why Dabo has to make the move soon. One, the title window is now, okay? Uh, you look at that defense. Brian Breze, who was awesome on Monday night, miles murphy a lot of these guys aren't going to be around next year so while you're always going to have uh, talent on on your defense at clemson their defense this year is like next level talent again i'm not going to compare anything to georgia last year but we're talking about three to four first rounders on this year's team right now this second so the window is now and the other thing that struck me while i was watching this game the plan is the plan was never for dj to be there beyond this year anyway right and so in this transfer portal era We all knew DJ came in expecting to be a three and done. In other words, come in, back up Trevor Lawrence for a year, and then beyond that, uh, play for two years, get out, make way for the next guy. That was the the, the plan when Kate Klubnik committed. Well, the plan's off the rails, and now in this transfer portal world, two things strike. One, you were already anticipating not having DJ next year, so why not rip off the Band-Aid now? But two, if you goof off, one, you might lose the locker room, and two, Kate Klubnick can transfer. He can hit that portal and be somewhere else and playing next year. And so I'm not saying you don't play. I'm not saying you don't play Kate Klubnick if he's not the guy. I'm not saying you bench DJ tomorrow and name him the starter. But it's clear in short order that he appears to be the better guy. And beyond that, in this one-time transfer world, you got to do it. Finally, what I would say is, I also think this. The other thing that strikes me is, it's not like Dabo hasn't done this before, right? what was it four or five years ago, Trevor Lawrence back up to Kelly Bryant coming into the year early in the season, getting some reps. Then what ends up happening? It's clear after game two, game three, game four, Trevor Lawrence is the best player and Dabo benched him. And so if Dabo has done it before, and it's not like other coaches haven't either. Nick Saban did a national championship game. Lincoln Riley did it last year with Spencer Rattler. At some point, Dabo has to rip the bandaid off And I do wonder if we're looking at the same situation as Trevor Lawrence 2.0. Not saying this kid's Trevor Lawrence. Not saying he's going to be the number one pick. Not saying he's a generational talent. But if you look at the situation, Clemson got the win on Monday night. They're now 1-0. And they have a scenario where they have two very winnable games going forward. One against Furman. The next against Louisiana Tech. Where I do think you play both. And he'll let the public decide. You know what? This kind of reminds me of what's going on in Michigan right now. I've said from the beginning with JJ McCarthy, I think that Jim Harbaugh knows the better quarterback is the backup, but he doesn't want to bench the guy that led him to a big 10 title last year. So rather than bench Cade McNamara, he's going to let both play publicly. Everybody's going to see that JJ McCarthy is better than he can put in the backup. I wonder if Dabo does the same over the next two games. I wonder if Dabo gets Cade Clubnick in early, everybody sees that he's the better quarterback and then he doesn't have to feel guilty benching DJ. So to me, I think this is one of the more fascinating stories that came out of the weekend. I'm glad we decided to wait until Wednesday's show to kind of break it down and kind of talk about it in depth because there was so much going on to react to on Tuesday. But to me, I think Dabo's got a tough decision to make, but I'll be honest, I actually don't think it's a very tough decision at all. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at Chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Finally, did you see what happened in Baton Rouge on Tuesday night at Brian Kelly's press conference? So a little bit of a backstory, right? Obviously, uh, this part of the backstory you really don't need, but uh, LSU plays on Monday on Sunday night, instant classic, and not like an instant classic like the Bush push or uh, the Bills and the Chiefs in the playoffs last year, like instant classic in goofy, confusing. Uh, and we talked about LSU plenty on Monday's show or Tuesday show. We don't need to like relive the whole thing, but it wasn't like the best debut for Brian Kelly, right? Um, And a lot of it's not his fault. He inherited a tough situation. He didn't inherit a lot of talent. He inherited maybe some attitude, work ethic issues, but it didn't go well. And everything that could go wrong did. It wasn't just that they lost, but it was how they lost everything that we discussed on Tuesday's show. Special teams penalties or or special teams miscues, blocked kicks, muffed punts, uh, just, just everything that could go wrong did. And so ultimately, it's just one loss and it doesn't mean all that much, but it's college football, it's the SEC, and specifically, it's LSU. And LSU, listen, I think LSU is one of the two, three best jobs in the country, but LSU is also a job that just fired a head coach that won a national championship two years ago. And so why it is interesting and why I'm discussing it today is because on Tuesday night, Brian Kelly had his weekly media availability. And uh, I guess this is the backstory, right? I don't know a ton about everything that happened, but apparently there was a reporter that kind of walked in late. And you can find this video on social media. So, um, you know, it's, I'm not making this up, but he kind of, you could tell he tries to joke, but Brian Kelly doesn't really have a sense of humor. So he tries to joke with the reporter about being on time, about being accountable and here's what the reporter said you're not going to believe this the reporter said maybe if we won i'd have been on time maybe if we'd won i'd have been on time i don't know what it is like this is this is one of the craziest things that i have ever so listen i work in the media okay and i don't i'm not really like a, a big j go to all the press conferences, you know, wear the tweed jacket. Like that's not ultimately who I am or what I'm about or how I'm making my livelihood uh, as a media member. But at the same time, there is a very simple decorum at press conferences. When you go there Um, you don't use, we, you know, some media members say don't call a coach coach. I always call them coach out of respect, but I've never heard of a, a, a media member unprovoked just going after a head coach. Like this guy went after Brian Kelly. The guy literally said, if you had won, maybe I would have been here on time. And so this video made the rounds on social media. And what it says to me is a few things. Like one, maybe it means nothing. And it's just weird and it's goofy and it's whatever. And maybe after we record here and in a day or two, we get more context and maybe we understand why it went down. And this guy was joking. And this guy's known Brian Kelly or whatever. But if you look at Brian Kelly's reaction What it says very clearly to me, he was not expecting that and he was not ready for that. And so what it says to me, why I'm bringing this up, why I'm talking about, this isn't going to be a 15-minute segment. But what I did see was a head coach that once again, I know he wanted to be in the SEC. I don't really know if he knows what he signed up for coming to the sec. And I said this when Brian Kelly got hired, I said, look, it's a great hire. You, you can't hire the winningest coach in the history of Notre Dame football and say it's a bad hire. But I said all along, I said, I don't know if he knows exactly what he got into when you're at Notre Dame, things are done a certain way, right? You're recruiting. First of all, you're recruiting a certain type of kid. You're recruiting a, you know, you're around a certain type of person, the alumni. um, I don't want to say it's good or bad. It's just different. In the SEC, it does just mean more. At Notre Dame, it means a lot. I don't know that it means everything. And so I never thought, I always wondered, I said, does Brian Kelly know what he got into in the SEC? And I don't think he does. But then two, on top of that, here's my other thing. Anyone else feel like people are already starting to turn on Brian Kelly? And Brian Kelly's one of those guys, and I've said this a million times, I'm not going to go over it. I don't really understand why everybody doesn't like Brian Kelly, but it seems pretty clear to me that a lot of people would enjoy to see Brian Kelly fail. Now, part of it is just, it's LSU and LSU has a lot of rivals. Arkansas is their rival. Bam is their rival. Auburn's their rival. Florida is their rival. There's a lot of people that want to see LSU stink because they just don't like LSU, but it seems as though there's a lot more people that want to see LSU stink because they do not like Brian Kelly. And so what this says to me, I've seen this in sports sometimes where the coach gets hired and it's not universal. The coach gets hired and there's a certain segment of the fan base that doesn't want him there and is going to make life as uncomfortable for him as they can. And this guy is already with his back against the wall. I think the best example I can ever remember was when Charlie Strong got hired at Texas. He was their fifth, sixth, seventh choice very publicly. That was the time if you remember. They went after Nick Saban. They went after probably John Gruden. They went after every big name that they could. They went after Art Briles at the time. I know for a fact they did. And they got rejected by guy after guy after guy. So by the time they got to Charlie Strong, by the time he took the job, it was one of those deals where half the fan base didn't want him because they knew he was the fifth or sixth choice. And so from the beginning, his back was against the wall from the beginning people didn't want to see, his, see him succeed. Ironically, when it comes to the Texas stuff, um, you know they've done searches differently ever since then, right? They didn't fire Charlie Strong until they knew they had Tom Herman. They didn't fire Tom Herman until they knew they had Steve Sarkeesian. That changed because of the backlash to, to Charlie Strong. And I do wonder if it's kind of the same with Brian Kelly. It seems very obvious to me that there is a certain segment of people in Louisiana that do not want this guy as the head coach and do not want to see him succeed gets made fun of every time he does something weird on social media, the accent, the dancing, Nick Saban does the same dance. It's revered as the greatest dance since, you know, dirty dance in Havana nights. Okay. Like it's a fact, we all know it. Um, if Lincoln Riley did it at USC, oh, he's the coolest coach in college football, but Brian Kelly does it. People hate it. The accent. It was weird, admitted, whatever. But if Nick Saban did the accent two weeks ago, Nobody would even acknowledge it. And so I'm just bringing it up because this situation with the reporter, it says to me, I think there's a lot of people that don't want to see Brian Kelly succeed. And many of them are within the LSU fan base, something fascinating to consider. Brian Kelly's back's against the wall, and it's not going to get easier with that schedule that LSU has. All right, with that said, I think that's it for this episode of the Aerotorus Sports Podcast. How about that? Two episodes, two days. This is what we're doing. By the way, a few of you have commented on the sound. We're going to work on the sound. Um, It's week one. Please be patient. We're going to get this sound rocking and rolling. Get this the best quality that it can be. Uh, But just be patient with us. We're going to get this thing going. So if you're not subscribed to the podcast, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Also, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. New episodes going up every single day, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure you're subscribed. Uh, Make sure to rate and review the show on on Apple, on Spotify. Make sure you're just paying attention. Thank you to our partners, Betfred Sports. Thank you to our our sponsor, Bracket Fanatics. Again, link is in the show description. Bracketfanatics.com. Join Bracket Torres thousand dollar cash prize for the season hundred dollar winner every week that is all for today's show i'll be back on thursday how about that another episode a lot of torres i'll be back on thursday new episode of the aaron torres sports podcast i didn't even say it by the way shout out to jj reddick unblock me bro i'll be back friday thursday aaron torres okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh 18 plus.